everyone and welcome back to the Manic Manor podcast. This is Mitchie. I hope everybody's had a very good week, had a good weekend. Um, boy, do we have a case for you guys today. There's not much that I want to discuss, so we're just going to go ahead and dive right into this case. So let's get started on the evening of June 30th, 2019. A man was found drowned in the Gapyeong Valley River, and for anybody who doesn't know about Gapyeong Valley, it's a popular vacationing spot in South Korea where a lot of people will go to swim, they'll have picnics, cook out, drink. So, he was found drowned, and autopsy revealed that his cause of death was drowning, and initially it was thought as an accident. All the friends that were there with him had said that they had saw him jump into the water and they weren't really sure what had happened to him. He resurfaced, they turned their head, but when they turned back around, he was gone. So the police initially ruled this as an accidental drowning. However, things started to get a little bit fishy, and by a little bit fishy, I mean we're deep sea diving. So, probably about a year after this man's death, his widower writes into this famous show called Kukoshiago Shipta, forgive me if I mispronounced that, um, uncovering the truth, unanswered questions, I want to know. And she is talking about how when her husband died, she wasn't being paid the insurance money because the insurance company was saying that it was fraudulent and she wanted to expose the insurance companies in South Korea, like the big insurance companies, for defrauding their customers. So, of course, the show picks it up and they start investigating. So now we're going to backtrack because from here, they start finding all sorts of very suspicious stuff that leads them to think that this was possibly not an accident. Now we're going to backtrack a little further because we're going to have to get to know who this widower is. And believe it or not, she was a child reality TV star. Her name was Yoon Hae, and she was born around 1991. Now she is known for being on the Korean reality TV series Love House. And Love House essentially is like um, Extreme Home Makeover in the U.S., you have a crew that finds out about a family that is in need because they're impoverished or there's some sort of disability going on in the household. So they go, they interview the family, they let the public get to know this family, and then they renovate the house and try to give them a better life. So this is how Lee Yoon-hae was originally introduced into the world, how everybody knew her. She was this child who had two disabled parents and because they were disabled, they were unable to work, and the pension that they got from the Korean government was not much. I think maybe less than $400 a month in U.S. dollar, around 450000 Korean won. Um, so at a young age, she was forced to grow up and take care of her parents, and that's pretty much all her life ever was, was she would get up in the morning, take care of her parents, go to school, come back, take care of her parents, go to sleep, and it was just a repetitive process. And 
when she was introduced onto the show, this caught the hearts of all the people in South Korea to see how she was such a humble little girl and how when they did the makeover and she was so touched and said in the future she wanted to help people who were underprivileged like herself. It was a very touching episode. I did see snippets of it, but Lord, people would not know that later in life, <clears throat> things would take a drastic turn for the worse for her. So, as I said, she was portrayed as a dotting, loving child, and she wanted to do as much as she could to help everybody. But around the age of 18, things started to take a turn for the worse for Yune. Now, remember how we talked about in the Molar Daddy episode that we always had somebody, or had the public convinced that somebody was this cute, loving, doting person, but then things aren't always as they seem. So, at around the age of 18, Yune would become a single mother, and unable to support her daughter, Yune's mother the one that's disabled, would end up having sole custody of her daughter for the time being. And the father of this child mysteriously would pass away. Now, not much is said about how he passed away. It's just stated as he died. But she did find love again. But unfortunately for this case, the boyfriend would mysteriously die while snorkeling. And it would seem like for Yune that everything just was not going right. Everything felt hopeless. She was just trying to get ahead, but nothing seemed to work for her. Now, according to her, everything changed when she took a job at a research development company and she was starting to, you know, she was interning, so I don't think she was making that much money, but that didn't matter because from here, she met a gentleman who was about 10 years older than her, and his name was Yoon Song-yo. Uh, now, Yoon was a full-time researcher at this facility that she claimed to have met him at, and by all means was such a sweetheart, a wonderful guy, and he made a very good paycheck for the standard in Korea. I think it was around 60,000 US dollars a year that he was making, and he was just a open-minded, welcoming individual. So this was appealing to Yoon because she came from such an impoverished life. She had known nothing but sadness and despair and here comes this guy who's super kind super sweet and wants to give her the world essentially so they ended up taking a liking to each other and they started dating however the family was not so keen i don't know if it was because yune was a single mother and there's always been a stigma around single mothers trying to date or maybe it was the age difference because she was like 10 years his junior. But that didn't matter to them. Sang Yuk 
loved Yune, and he made it his mission to love her and pamper her the way that she believed that she should. Like, he truly believed that she deserved to have the best things in life. And he even went as far as to adopt her daughter and be an accepting and doting stepfather, not even just like the stepfather that is like classically portrayed, like he treated this child like she was his own flesh and blood. And that just sounds so perfect. It sounds so beautiful because it's so difficult for anyone to date, especially nowadays. But when you add on being that single parent, coming from a past that's very traumatic, very sad, there's always, like I said, there's always some sort of stigma that gets attached to it, even if you've got the best of intentions, and even if the person you're seeing has the best of intentions and truly loves and cares about you, there's always outside voices that want to come in and just be judgmental because it's easy to look from the outside in. But that didn't matter. Around 2017, 2018, um, Sanyo and Une would elope and they would start their married life together. But they didn't live exactly like your typical couple. Um, Sanyo was still wanting to work at the research company that he was in, but Yunhe wanted to live in Incheon in this upscale apartment. But the problem was with the development company that Sangyeok worked at, it was in Suwon, I believe. So she wasn't willing to compromise living closer to his place of employment. And being the doting and caring individual that he was, he ended up buying two apartments, a dingy rundown apartment in Suwon close to his work for him to stay in during the week, and then this upscale apartment in Incheon where Yone would live with her daughter and everything, and they made this agreement that they would try to see each other on the weekends. But... While that agreement kind of seemed okay at the start, and maybe that's just what they liked, there was so much going around it. Like, neighbors would report that Yunhe would have people coming in and out. She would always make up excuses why she couldn't go and see him or why he couldn't come see her. And then the savings that Sangyeop had saved up started gradually depleting and it was getting harder and harder for him to pay the bills harder and harder for him to just do day-to-day -day living it was so bad to the point that he would reach out to her and beg her for like just a couple of dollars so he could get something to eat he there were text messages that were revealed later that would say, hey, if you've got the time, can you please give your husband X amount of dollars? I need food and water. I am really hungry. So not only did he spend all this money trying to provide her with this lavish life so she could wear like designer clothes and 
live in comfort and not have to know poverty, but she took access of his bank account and it was slowly and slowly depleting. And according to Sangyulp's friends, he had like $400,000, I think, saved up. And all of that was just slowly going away. And not only that, she had him agree to take out insurance policies totaling around 800 million won. And, I mean, for anybody that knows, that's quite a bit of money, and the premiums on that are going to be extremely high. So, he was spending way more than he was able to make in, even though he had this good, high, upscale job. And it was so terrible that he was not sure how he was going to get ahead of himself and it got to the point where even the insurance premiums and bills and stuff were falling so far behind that he was actually considering filing for bankruptcy. So when Sangyulp went to try to take care of all of this, uh, the insurance, not the insurance, but the um, bankruptcy broker that he met with said, you know, if we do X amount of payments over this period of time, we can be able, you can be able at least to try to get this resolved and get this debt paid off in a certain amount of time. And so he was like, okay, we'll do that. Well, that was not something that Yunhe liked. And somehow she convinced him to stop doing those bankruptcy payments. And I'm not sure exactly how bankruptcy is in South Korea versus in the U.S. because I've had to deal with bankruptcy cases myself being a legal assistant. But the second that you default over here in the U.S., everything's um, up for grabs. Like, people can collect, um, you can face issues with stuff being taken away, and, or you have problems where you can't file bankruptcy again for a certain amount of time depending on the state that you're in. But either way, she um, got him to default on these payments. And since he had defaulted on these payments, his insurance policies were set to expire on July 1st of 2019. Now, I'm sure with all of the stress that Sangyup was under, and then on top of listening to all these stories of how Yunhei had all these people coming in and out of their apartment that they were supposed to share, and she was making up excuses as to why she couldn't see him. I'm sure somewhere in the back of his mind he was terrified that she may be having an affair, and he was such a sweet and caring individual. He didn't deserve any of this. All he wanted to do was give her this beautiful love story despite the age gap, despite the stigmas, despite what she came through, but he was always seeing the good in her, and I don't know if it's because he loved her that much, or he was just that type of person that wanted to see all the good in a person. I mean, I, I genuinely think that might be it for him, because when you look at his photo, he just looks like somebody that would not even harm a fly, and this poor guy is getting the raw end of a deal. So, we come to the day of June 30th, 2019. 
there were some sorts of talks in the way. I guess Yoon-hae had convinced him, hey, we need to go on vacation. We've got all of this going on. This is so stressful. Why don't we go to Gapyeong Valley? I can gather up a few of my friends, or we can just go and hang out. And he's like, okay, sure, that seems fine. Uh, surveillance footage would show him waiting for her to come pick him up, and it's his car that pulls up. It's Sungyeop's car that pulls up. Yunhei is in the passenger seat, and there is a gentleman that we come to find out by the name of Joe that is driving Sungyeop's car. And right there, that's a huge red flag for me, seeing that. Why is this individual driving Sangyeop's car. But Yunhei would be like, oh, this is just a friend of a friend. I've known him for X amount of years. He's just helping us out. We're going to go pick up the other friends of ours, and then we're going to go to Gapyeong. So, they arrive, and according to friends, Yunhei really did not act like Sangyeop was her husband. She treated him more as a quote-unquote opa. She would only address him by that. She didn't really want to get physical or have any sort of affection with him. And she would tease him. Now, something that was known about Sangyeop by his friends and family was that he had a fear of water. He could not swim. And the entire time they were up in this valley, you, you would, um, Yun would be constantly mocked and told, oh, go ahead and jump in the water. Go ahead. It's okay. Everybody else is jumping in the water. Why aren't you doing it? And instead of Yunhei being a caring and loving wife trying to get people to back off, she participated in the teasing of Sangyeop. So with all of this pressure, I'm sure he didn't know what to do and he felt like he had to. And remember how I said that Yunhei and Sangyeop had this massive age gap. He also had an age gap with all of the friends in the group. They were more so Yunhei's friends than they were Sangyeop's friends. They were all 10 years his junior. And in Korea, I mean, age is a big thing. Like, if you're older than somebody, people are expected to be more polite to you because you're the senior, you're the elder, you've got more experience. It's a respect thing, and I can understand that, because here in the South, we've got this thing, too, where you're, quote-unquote, supposed to respect your elders. But it seems like for this group, they did not give two shits in hell about that. And video would be coming out later that would show them teasing him. At one point, he lost a game, and they were forcing him to beat on a watermelon with his own head. And... You could tell he was in pain, but the people in the video, they would be laughing about it. And then there would be other videos that come out where he would be on a raft in the water, and you could tell that he was scared, but you would have, like, Joe and another friend that would be tipping at this raft, and he would be saying, okay, that's enough, this is not funny, please stop. And you would hear Joe and them say, no, I'm not going to stop, this is hilarious. And at one point, he's even covering his ears. And the poor guy, just seeing these videos, makes you want to jump through and, like, try to protect him. With 
everything that you've got in you because he was genuinely terrified. And, I mean, you hear his wife, who is not even acting like she's his wife, laugh about it. And as the night progressed on, it was getting late, getting dark, getting cold. Uh, one of the couples that were with them, that was their friend, decided that they had had enough. They were going to head back down and say, you know, they were getting ready to just probably head home. And Yunhe, Cho, Sangyeop, and another couple somehow agreed to go back up and do one more dive for the end of the night. Um, according to the friend that was interviewed by she said it, it didn't really look like he wanted to do it, but he still reluctantly agreed because once again Yunhei was saying, Oh, Opa, come on, everybody else is going to jump. You should jump too. So being the doting and loving guy that he is, he decided that he was going to do the jump. So Yunhei goes and Jok goes and Sangyuk goes. And Yunhei and Joe seem to jump off, and they have like protect like a protective vest or some sort of floaty or something. And Sangyeop was left with nothing. So when he jumped, he had to jump with just his body, and that was it. Now everybody did come up, but it seemed like, according to Yunhei, when he came up, when Sangyeop came up. He was kind of struggling a little bit, and it looked like he was panicking. And the friend said so herself. Like, he initially, he came up okay, she turned her head, she could hear screaming, and it looked like Joe was trying to help him, but he was swimming incredibly slow towards Sangyeol. And something that could have just taken a few seconds, depending on how good of a swimmer you were, seemed like it was taking ages, and the friend, while she was going to help, Yunhei grabs her and says, come on, we gotta go get help, so she takes her, and they run up to get an extra floaty, or get somebody to help them, and by the time they come back, Cho is standing kind of towards the shore, saying, I can't see him, I can't see him, Hyung, where are you, referring to Sangyeol because he was now nowhere to be seen, and it was like the water was untouched. And within half an hour, authorities were there. They were able to pull Sangyeop out, but it was too late. He died of and what they initially said was an accidental drowning. So that brings us to this investigation with Kukoshi Agoshipta, once again, please forgive me if I say this wrong, please correct me. But through interviews with friends and stuff, they started to see that this wasn't the first time that Sangyeop had had a near-death experience, and things were just not looking right. And they especially didn't look right with Cho being involved, because it wasn't the first case where Cho was around when Sangyeop was on the verge of death. So the investigation started to show that twice before Sangyeop had attempts made on his life. The first one was when he went to eat with Yunhei and 
text messages were revealed showing that she was texting Joe, saying that she had put pufferfish blood into Sungilp's food. Now, pufferfish, as most people know, if you do not cut it the right way, is very lethal and deadly due to the poison that's within its system. But apparently she didn't poison it enough, and although he was very sick, Sungyeop did recover. The second time, it seems like they were out vacationing, or out on a trip on a fishing boat, and that very friend that was talking about how sketchy things were, I think she might have been an ex of Cho. So she was talking about how things didn't seem very appropriate on the boat. Like she had a feeling that Yunhei and Joe were way more than just friends and the suspicion was kind of validated and verified with her when Yunhei was not acting like a couple with Sangyeop, and it was upsetting Sangyeop. And anytime he would try to like put his arm around her or act like a couple, Yunhei would be angry and tell him to stop. And at one point, she told um, Cho and Sangyeop to go outside and have boy talk while she had girl talk with this friend. But she wouldn't talk to the friend. They just kind of sat there in complete and utter silence, which is very creepy and eerie and the friend did in turn end up hearing what sounded like Sungyeop screaming and when she rushed out even though Yunhei was trying to like block the door and stop her and it's like oh no you don't need to go outside there's no need for that she was able to get outside and she saw what looked to be Cho holding Sungyeop underwater and she was yelling at him you know what the hell are you doing stop so that was another attempt on his life and while Joe was like acting like he had no idea what was going on this showed like clear signs of premeditation to anybody that was investigating this and looking on. So with all of this in mind and these videos that are surfacing out they start to see that something is not right. So they bring in um, Joe and Yune and start doing a lie detector test. Now lie detector tests aren't necessarily admissible in court, but they're still used as a way for detectives to get a lead to see if maybe they, there's something hidden and the body, no matter what, will always give away whether or not somebody is telling a truth or a lie. So a lie detector test was done on Yunhei and Cho. And while Cho's came back in, uh, inconclusive, which means it couldn't really tell, Yunhei's came out flat out as a lie. So everything that she said where Sungyeop was underwater, he came back up, and the next thing they knew he wasn't there, all of that was a lie. And um, it also came to light that it looks like Sungyeop's family did not want the insurance money to go through because they felt that Yunhei was very diabolical, that she did not have the purest of intentions. And with all of these things going on and the fact that he was in water when he died, they were like, none of this is adding up. Everything looks extremely fishy. So 
they decide that they're going to bring Yunhei and Cho back into questioning because it's come to light that not only are Cho and Yunhei lying about everything going on, but they were having an affair this entire time behind Sangyeop's back. And bless his heart, I can't imagine the pain that Sangyeop was feeling through all of this. And he must have known, but he was trying to see the best, as like I said. And for him to try to hold out for the best, to try to hope that his relationship was working out, this is how it ended. So the authorities are like, okay, we've got more than enough proof. She's had him take out this massive insurance policy. There were two previous attempts on his life. This is not right. This, this clearly is attempted murder. So they go and try to bring them back in, but they vanish. December of 2021, Yoon-hae and Cho are gone. They are on the run. And it would be March of 2022 that they would be listed on Korea's Most Wanted. So they could try to locate these people and bring justice for Sang-yeol. Um, now, Yoon-hae's father, when he was questioned about this, he did not want to believe that his daughter, this precious little girl that helped him when she was younger while he was disabled, would be capable of doing such monstrosity acts. But when all of this information came to light, he knew that he couldn't cover for her. He could not protect her. There was nothing showing that she could even be framed like everything was pointing to there is a clear motive here she is not the little girl that I knew so within 20 days time from being listed on Korea's most wanted um, her father would be the one that actually would rat out her location to the police so she was staying in this apartment with Cho and her father knew the address of it and knew the apartment number. And I guess she thought because, oh, she was daddy's little girl or something that she, he wasn't going to rat her out. But it's like, bitch, you thought. So, in April of 2002, they were caught and arrested. And the authorities connected yet another friend. So, it looks like it was the friend that was tipping on the floaty with uh, Sangyop on it and he was begging them to stop. This was another friend. And apparently he was in connection with all of this insurance fraud that they were trying to do. Like, he was the one that told, like, helping them with the insurance. Now, don't quote me on that because that's kind of the speculation right now and there's not been a whole lot of evidence towards him that's come out. It's just been said that he was arrested in connection with it and it doesn't kind of help that he was arrested on drug charges previously and when he got out he was turned around and arrested for this so as of September of this year last month Yunhei and Cho are still being held in custody prior to the trial of Yun Sung Yop's murder it breaks my heart 
to hear stories like this because there's so many people that just see the good in others and it seems like Yoon he just wanted he just wanted to be loved he wanted to give this woman a life that he thought that she deserved and she manipulated and gaslit the absolute hell out of him so hopefully we get justice in this case hopefully Yoon can rest in peace and this disgusting individual and her disgusting affair bitch get the life that they deserve and I'm so glad that they did not get paid this insurance money I just I I don't even know how to express I can only imagine how much pain um, you and Sungyeop's family is feeling right now but I hope with them being captured and they're in custody and awaiting trial that this will bring them some sort of closure some sort of peace now once we do figure out what happens with the trial of course I will update on this and if there is something that I did miss or I got completely incorrect as always please feel free to reach out to me to correct me so we can get the most proper and correct information for Yoon as is. Um, you can reach out to our podcast either via email at manicmanorpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach us on Facebook or Instagram, Manic Manor Podcast, and um, we also have a Patreon set up as well. So if you want to, you know, donate so we can do more in-depth research, please feel free. Not necessary. Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope everything uh, goes right for you guys this week. Please stay safe, and as always, we will see you in the next episode.